and welcome back to Restore Planet Podcast with me, your host, Jack Cole. So today, I'm joined by Vidza Vandeva from CU Ranger Service in the Netherlands, who's going to be talking to us today about his organization's work. So Vidza, welcome. And um, would you start by telling us a little bit about the background history and the ethos behind the CU Ranger Service? Definitely. Uh, thank you, Jack. First of all, thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me. Um, and in this case, to talk about oceans, which is uh, increasingly on the agenda, but uh, still kind of underrepresented. Um, so, um, yeah, I run an organization called the Sea Ranger Service. And essentially what we do is we combine both the need for capacity for people and ships to really manage and, and conserve oceans better. Uh, and we combine it with social impact. So really working in communities where young people can be offered full-time Sea Ranger jobs, where it also uh, increases their own job and career prospects. So it's really a combined social and, and environmental impact. Brilliant. And I believe the original inspiration came from the 30s. Um, would you want to tell us a little bit about that background and how that sort of ties into the ethos that got uh, the yeah, so going? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I worked in ocean issues for many years. I worked as an engineer on research ships going to Antarctica. I have uh, worked on fisheries issues, uh, being working undercover to help investigate illegal fishing. So I have sort of seen, you could say, the yeah, this notion that while there increasingly is protection for the ocean, in reality, a lot of that protection is primarily on paper. Um, one example is there are over 17,000 marine protected areas, which are areas of ocean that are designated for protection, where, for example, certain types of fisheries can't happen, uh, where certain ships maybe are not allowed to operate. The problem is, however, that um, in the latest research, uh, only 0.6% have some form of capacity. And that means that over 99% of these areas, they may be protected on paper, but there's no one out in the ocean to really manage or enforce that. Uh, and that's when, of course, legal activity simply continues. The over-exploitation continues. So in this kind of scenario, the question is, well, where do we find ships and people? <laughs> and that's, of course, very, very expensive. Um, at the Sea Ranger service, we often kind of jokingly say that, you know, except from starting an airline or going into space, you know, to actually have ships and go out to sea to do work is one of the most expensive things you can do. So how do we essentially, yeah, make that work? And, and how do we get that capacity to the, to the sea? And on the other hand, when I did this fisheries work and I did this investigation work in all of the ports, I would come all of these coastal communities. That's where there are very few opportunities. That's where the youth unemployment rates are high. And I kept thinking, is there a way to combine these two problems uh, to act as each other's solution? And as you say, there was a certain point where there was an actual inspiration. And it came when I was um, when I learned about the Civilian Conservation Corps. Now, this is a really remarkable organization that was founded in 1933 by then US President uh, Franklin Roosevelt. And in nine years time, during the Great Depression, they mobilized uh, 3 million unemployed men. Uh, they planted over 3 billion trees. They constructed 800 of the national parks in the US today. They set up fish nurseries. They uh, restored riverbeds. They um, did all types of work around in improving the effectiveness of, of, of fighting wildfires. So it was an example of a works program in the 1930s that transformed the U.S. landscape 
and it was landscape restoration at, at the biggest scale it's ever been seen in human history. But at the same time, those 3 million unemployed men that would go into these uh, areas of, of nature, they would be working under the guidance of, of the army. Uh, they would have evening classes and they'd learn all these kind of skills that really left a huge legacy uh, in terms of their personal development. And, you know, and, and, and it really, it revitalized these local communities where they were based, where initially the populations locally thought, oh, we have an influx of all these young men coming to work in the woods. But actually it was a huge influx for the local economy and these young men, the money they earned, part of it was sent back home where families were also struggling during the great depression. So being able to think about the restoration of nature on a big scale, while it creates the jobs and brings economic prosperity for people, that's of course, uh, you know, that's a magic combination. And what we've essentially done is translated that history into giving us some of the answers of how we can tackle some of these problems today. And how is that tied into your projects and the current work that you are doing? Yeah, so very similar, um, essentially using the Civilian Conservation Corps example as a blueprint. The Sea Ranger Service was founded on the same premise. We work in these coastal communities and coastal areas. We recruit young people, some who are unemployed or have a distance to the labor market, but there's also some young people who have just finished university or in a gap year. And we mix that group and they are trained by veterans. So we have people from the Navy, we have former Marines, and initially you do a boot camp of one week where there's a lot of structure and discipline. And we really see if you have it in you to become a sea ranger, because if you're a sea ranger, you have to work at sea on a ship uh, two weeks at a time, even in, in winter in the North Sea, which can be quite challenging. And if after that week of boot camp, we select you, then you are full-time employed by the Sea Ranger Service. And then for a whole year, we give you additional training. And while you're paid for the work and the training, we are involved in climate research, in ocean restoration. We're involved in managing seaweed farms, restoring seagrass, uh, doing climate research, um, taking water quality measurements, all types of assignments. And we work directly with government agencies where we support them with the capacity uh, to carry out this work. So it's really a combination of, of, of the social elements and the training and the employment. And on the other hand, we have ships out at sea that support governments to better, um, yeah, essentially enforce and implement the law. Brilliant. And from these, uh, deprived areas, what are some of the driving socioeconomic factors that are, you know, creating these underprivileged communities? Are there sort of shared patterns in different places or, you know, um, is it sort of a bit more complicated? It, it, it is complicated for sure. Uh, there's never, unfortunately, a simple answer. Um, but the UK is a, is a prime example. I mean, think of this as an island nation and the maritime heritage, you know, that's so rich in this history. Um, if you think of Grimsby, for example, this was one of the largest fishing ports of Europe. It was a really rich community. There was wealth. It, 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 it was booming. Um, and then what you see at some point is that there is a change. There is a mechanization of the processes in a port. Uh, we see that actually the fish processing is cheaper overseas. Uh, we see that basically the economic situation changes and that fishing industry is diminishing. And the same we see with certain port cities where it was normal that you were 12, 13 years old and you would follow your father into working as a dock worker where you may, you know, as a young boy would go in and, and do the work. 
from father to son, those jobs have disappeared. So these ports, cities and coastal communities that actually, you know, had sort of opportunities in abundance, we see, um, yeah, a notion of that sharp decline. And it's kind of quite sad in a way to see that those communities, once thriving, are now really lagging behind. Um, so it's really vital that if we have those job opportunities, and especially if there's opportunities in kind of the regenerative economy, in restoring seagrass, in setting up seaweed farms, in you know th th this kind of work, that we especially bring them to those coastal communities where that impact matters most. Okay, so you found, um, you know, for example, one... Uh, underprivileged individual who's sort of has gone to boot camp. What can we expect? So on a day-to-day -day basis, and is it how long would the uh, is the process of sort of you know, gaining badges and so forth, and then what would be potential uh, career prospects? Yeah, so the, you don't need any previous education when you join a sea rangership. So we really are the first port of call, you could say, for learning about the maritime career. We take you out sailing. You're part of a team. You work on a shift pattern, so you work two weeks on the ship full-time and you sleep on the ship and live on the ship and then you're free for two weeks, but we pay you a, a set wage every month. So um, essentially for a period of seven to eight months, sometimes a year, you're on board the ship um, and you learn how to how to sail. You learn what the seafaring life is like. So first of all, it's a, it's a way to kind of taste that life and see if it's something for you. Secondly, as you are building up the sea days, and essentially what that means is the sea time that you sail on the ship gets recorded in a seaman's book. And after a number of uh, months, you may reach the milestone of 180 days at sea. And that's when that changes into obtaining what's known as a rating deck sailing endorsement. So that essentially is a type of rating, you could almost call it a qualification, which allows you to work on other uh, ships. And that essentially is then a stepping stone into a maritime career because we have taken you from zero to hero, you could say, where you are actually able to, um, you know, as an alternative to going to a traditional maritime training college, we're able to get you to learn on the ship and we're able to give you a piece of paper that allows you to work for other employers then going forward. So we see that um, for a lot of young people, it is first of all, learning how to work in a team, collaborating, um, you know, it, there's a lot of, structured discipline involved. You're also very much confronted with yourself. So you learn a lot about your personal development. And on the other hand, it is for some youth, it can be, they do it and it's great and they want to do something else. We also have some sea rangers that, you know, joined as a sea ranger, did besides their work with us, continue to work with us, did some studies on the side and now they're first mate and may even soon actually get their qualification to be a captain, a sea captain. So, um, you know, it's, in a scenario in the environmental movement, especially in ocean conservation, it's not so much about having a PhD or master's degree at the moment. We actually, there's a big shortage of people that can simply drive a boat, you know, that, that can be right. cool in the research ship. And those are the kind of people we need with practical skills and qualifications. Um, so it's a great way to kind of get involved into, you could almost say these sort of STEM careers. Um, yeah, being involved as a, as a sea ranger. And someone who doesn't have any experience um, of going to sea and might perhaps have a bit of a overly sort of romantic idea of what it's like. As someone such as yourself who has so much experience, what is it? What is it like being out there day after day and uh, in the North Sea and the Arctic and all these places? Yeah, this question makes me smile because it is spellbound. It is absolutely 
on the one hand incredible and on the one hand incredibly challenging at the same time. Mm. Um, I mean, I, 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 I served in Antarctica, which you could say is really an extreme example because there you have weather systems that could be, you know, the size of, of England and you could go through them for two weeks at a time. And it's, there's no landmass to break up any of the wet, bad weather. And it's, but it's, so there are days that are really tough and you're in a little, you know, you're in a little tin bombing around on the ocean and everything that mother nature throws at you, uh, you just have to deal with, <laughs> you just have to stick it out. But then you're part of a team, you're, you know, you, I worked as an engineer, so everyone has their role on the ship. And that's also a powerful notion. You know, it's almost like a, a, a microcosm cosm of society. You know, everyone has their role and, and, and you get through it together. But then on the other hand, you are in a very, yes, an unforgiving environment, but at the same time, you're in a beautiful, uh, very rich kind of biodiversity kind of uh, space. There is so much wildlife. Um, so being out in that ocean is, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to describe. It is also a sense of freedom, I guess. You know, a lot of people think, oh, you're stuck on the ship and you're, but you're always going, you always have a purpose. You are, you know, and especially for sea rangers, you're on the ship and, and, and you're out there helping to protect and, and, and regenerate that environment. And I can't think of anything better to do uh, as a job than to be able to go sailing and enjoy that ocean while at the same time being paid to, um, you know, to do something good for the planet. Fantastic. And what are some of those roles and projects that um, within conservation that the Sea Ranger Service is involved with? Yeah, so to give you just a couple of examples, for example, for one of the Dutch government agencies, we've done extensive climate research. This is where satellites from the European Space Agency will essentially look at the nutrient level in the ocean, in the North Sea, and how this changes due to climate change. Now, if you measure that with satellites, you essentially get a digital reading. But that digital reading or that value, you still have to validate that with an actual water sample uh, at the same taken at the same time uh, to validate what is the actual nutrient level in, in, in that seawater. So that's one thing we would do. We'd go to different parts of the year. We'd go to different areas in the North Sea. And then we would take these validation water samples. Um, another example is where we've actually been involved in uh, kind of environmental areas where there are marine protected areas that I mentioned earlier, those areas that are protected on paper. Well, we would actually do the patrolling. We'd be in those areas. We'd document what kind of activity happens and we report that back to the government agency responsible for the management. The big, you could say, restoration piece is on the seagrass restoration. So for the last two years, the Sea Ranger Service, we've worked with a number of uh, very eminent scientists who have successfully restored seagrass. And the scientists are now essentially saying, we have a lot of the methodologies to restore seagrass, but actually to now scale this to a much bigger scale, you know, we don't need more scientists, <laughs> you know, uh, with all due respect, we don't need 100 PhD students. We just need 100 workers. We need people to actually do the physical field work, planting the seeds, monitoring how seagrass is is effectively being restored, how it grows, how it develops. Uh, and then sea rangers are perfectly placed for that. So this year we're starting a new program working in both the Netherlands and France, where sea rangers will be trained and deployed to actively restore seagrass. Um, and because seagrass, first of all, increases biodiversity, but also naturally captures a lot of carbon, it's of course an amazing climate mitigation effort. Um, and being able to bring this to scale, I think is another yeah, uh, validation of the strength of sea rangers to bring that capacity that's needed to really increase the, the biodiversity impact. 
Brilliant. And as the organisation continues to, to grow and grow, where would you like to see things, or where can you see things being, say, five, ten years from now? Yeah, so I moved to the UK last year to actually replicate our success in the Netherlands uh, into the UK. So we're now looking at different areas in the UK. We're negotiating with different government agencies and also some maritime institutes in the UK to really bring this program, I think, where it can really also matter. You know, when we talk about areas like Grimsby or Portsmouth or Port Talbot, it's another good example. You know, it'd be amazing to be able to train sea rangers in, in, these, in these areas, in these regions. Um, and I think the combination in the UK also of, you know, young people out there on boats, working with veterans, protecting the coast and, and the environment, I think it's something that, you know, the nation could really get behind. Mm-hmm. So what we will see is this scaling and replication of this Sea Ranger model to other parts of Europe and potentially beyond. So I would I would ask anyone who's listening and who is interested, like, please get in touch with us. You know, uh, we will be getting active in the UK and who knows, maybe even next year we could start training our first sea rangers in the UK, which would be incredible. Um, so that's really how we see it grow, is just to increase the impact. And also, and maybe sometimes we are allowed to be a little critical in, in within the conservation movement, because you know everyone does incredible work and it's all needed. However, at the same time, we have to be careful that our restoration and conservation efforts are not too fragmented. So actually standardizing the way we train people that do the field work, standardizing how we operate these these ships um, and thinking about models, in our case, also being a social enterprise. Some of our projects are funded by grants, but some of the work we actually are contracted by government uh, to do. So that also means we can, you know, we're, we're now building a new ship, for example, uh, and it's actually a Dutch bank that finances that ship, which is really important. Because if, if our conservation work is always 100% charity and always relies on charitable funds, it's very difficult to scale up the impact that we really need to see. So these are, I guess, things that we really think about critically, like how do we make sure we also standardize to, to really just look at what's effective. And, and, you know, there's often, and I was recently at a big international ocean conference, and, there, you know, there's always this notion at one point in the conference, the young people are brought on stage so we can hear the voices of young people. And actually, I think increasingly, I, I don't want to hear the voice of a young person. I mean, I'd like to hear their voice, but straight away, I want to give them the tools to make a difference, right? I want to give them the job and the skills and the and, and the materials they need, the resources to really make an impact on the ground. So at the Sea Ranger Service, we're very serious about, you could say, enabling that next generation to make both people and nature future-proof. So, I find you, so where can people find your work and support you? Yeah, so our website, searangers.org, is our website. We are very active on social media. If you go to YouTube and you look up Sea Ranger Service, you'll find a whole bunch of videos. Uh, you can also see how tough our uh, bootcamp selection looks. So <laughs> there's a little taster to see if it's something for you. But um, yeah, you know, we need everyone to come on board for this effort of, of, of restoring our planet. Um, and we're just very excited to be able to offer a new form of job uh, with the Sea Ranger role. Lisa, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jack.